Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Family Business Radio. I'm your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we have three great, incredible guests to share with us kind of their story and origin of how they got started in business. And uh, as you listen through the show, you kind of get a a new theme in terms of helping parents having uh, a better experience uh, going through aging, uh, that there is help. Uh, for those kind of going through that experience. And then at the very tail end, uh, we have a special guest in terms of talking about health. So today's theme is all going to be around aging, health, and solutions uh, around it. So our first guest, we have Rick Roberts with Voice Choices Solutions. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you. So kind of share with us how you got started and what motivated and inspired you to opening up your business. Um, well, it all, all came down to my mom, who was sick towards the end of her life. And uh, we were basically looking for assisted living. Um, and it was kind of an eye-opening situation. Um, because some places were not the greatest in shape. Um, and we found out that, you know, if you didn't come and visit her every day, she kind of seemed to be forgotten, be forgotten by the uh, nurses and the aides that were there. So um, that's when I decided to get into the business for myself and uh, help other families to make sure they didn't go down that path. Mm-hmm. And we find a lot of people when they're experiencing something like that, they surely wouldn't want to wish it upon anyone else. And kudos to you to really taking a step and, and helping others kind of avoid that same path. And, and for those kind of looking into this, um, so there's some terminology that people kind of mix in between, let's say, assisted living and personal care at home. Can you kind of share with us with the audience like what the differences are? Okay. And assisted living and personal care home is based on the size. Uh, personal care home in the state of Georgia can't be bigger than 24 beds. Uh, if it goes beyond 24 beds, then it becomes an assisted living. Additionally, Assisted living are under more guidelines from the state than a personal care home. That doesn't mean care is different. That simply means uh, they're allowed to have 16 uh, residents to one nurse at night or one CNA. In a personal care home, you usually have maybe four to eight beds and somebody's taking care of everybody. You know, each one has a shift to work. Usually it's usually one person or maybe two. So those are the differences in assisted living. Another thing with an assisted living is if a person is in a wheelchair and a two-person lift, usually they don't want to take them in um, only because it requires two people 24 hours a day or a personal care home can plan on that and do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And kind of share with us the process and how you help families in finding the right place uh, for their parents. Um, well, one of the biggest things is the financial issues. Most people don't realize how expensive home, um, how expensive care is in assisted living. Um, on the average, I have a lady right now that I'm working with. Uh, she's looking at a two bedroom for her mom and dad, and it's uh, ranging between fifty eight hundred and six thousand dollars a month. Um, 
other places, uh, studios are like 4,500. So it's kind of sticker shock for the family to begin with. Uh, so they understand that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll meet their parameters, but it may not be in Metro Atlanta. They may have to go out as far as Cedartown or uh, Gainesville to get the pricing they need. Not that the service is any less, but, you know, the pricing in Metro Atlanta is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Do you find this kind of uh, Atlanta specific or is it a common trend for most metro areas? I think it's a common trend for most metro areas. Um, one of the ways that we help families is we will pick usually four places at the maximum and uh, we will go with them to help them negotiate the lease uh, and negotiate the community fees. Most people like the big box search engines will say, here's, you know, nine places and get sent out to all of nine places. And then they'll end up getting phone calls. Uh, You know, they've been working all day and they get 15 phone calls from assisted living saying, you know, ours is the best place. You need to sign up now. You know, we, we can give you great rates and all kinds of things. Well, um, I don't know about you, but if I got 19 phone calls, I think I'd be a little overwhelmed by the time the evening ended. So um, it's uh, we, we try to be very selective of what we do. We don't, we don't give the information out about who the client is until we actually see the facility and then begin negotiating. So that's mm-hmm. a big thing right there. So you, from, from, if I'm understanding you correctly, is you kind of act as a firewall. Uh, or filter for 19 spam phone calls all coming in and kind of overwhelming someone that's just going through this for the first time. Right. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of places that will be in uh, uh, rehab centers and some people are on Medicaid or Medicare and, uh, you know, they have their 21 days and that 20th day the the person says, you know, it's time for your mom to move out. You find a place tomorrow because she's being discharged at 10 o'clock. And that creates a lot of stress for the family. And since we have a good working relationship with a lot of assisted living and personal care homes, we're able to place them quickly. And uh, then we also do our follow-up checkup. We continue to stay with the family um, throughout the year. We'll check on a minimum of four times a year to make sure everything's going well. You know, if mom's getting her peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Tuesday that she wants to have, uh, we'll make sure that that happens. Certainly, it's the, the little things. And then you brought, you touch a little bit upon on, on the pricing. So let's say, for example, that you do find a place for them uh, that is perfect for mom or dad, but it's a little too expensive. I mean, how would you be able to help them with that? Oh, we try to negotiate the price down. Uh, we try to community fee out, uh, which is usually anywhere from a thousand to twenty five hundred. Um, you know, that's money that they have to come up front. Um, but normally we'll, we'll sit down and talk with the family and say, look, you know, there's probably going to be an op- You have an opportunity where you're going to have to kick some money in every month to help mom or dad. So we get that idea up front from the family that, you know, the sisters all decided or the brother and sister decided that they can pay a thousand dollars extra a month and send and the $500 between them. So that will help the family. Uh, normally, you know, the minimum charges for care right now is usually ranges is about 3,200 is the lowest I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. and that's with a personal care home. 
Okay. Well, then kind of talking about finding a places for mom and dad out, this question probably won't come up pre-2020, but elephant in the room with the pandemic and all, hopefully we don't have to experience this again. But with that in, put into the equation, some of the concerns could be, well, I don't want to put mom in a place that won't even let me see her. I mean, how, how do we get around that? Well, unfortunately, you know, that, that becomes a state government issue. Uh, it's, it's dealt with by the state. So mm-hmm. there's really nothing that assisted living can do to say, but it's mandated by the state. And hopefully the state will come up with some kind of program that would allow people to be seen. I know personal care homes were having a little more flexibility of putting the people in the garage and putting plastic up. At least they could talk to their mom and dad. Uh, it wasn't through a glass window. So it, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an odd situation, but it does come up once in a while. You know, what happens if we have another pandemic? Well, that's going to be up to the state to handle that. Mm-hmm. Then kind of looking into the quality of care or even just something as simple as you say, making sure uh, Graham's uh, their peanut butter sandwich on Tuesday. What, what, what is the level of a cert- difference in terms of service level, or even on, on the food side between an assisted living and a personal care home? Or is there any difference? Um, usually an assisted living, especially if they're new, will get a, a, an executive chef with a lot of talent. They usually can't retain him for that long. So what they're really doing is training the next person in line to be the cook. And that's when the quality of food starts to slip a little. And that's when we get calls saying, you know, mom's food isn't the greatest anymore. What's happening? So we normally call the executive chef or the executive director and say, hey, what's changed that's going on? Well, you know, our line cook is now the executive chef, so he's still in a learning curve. So we try to explain that to the family. Um, personal care homes, they don't use professional shops. It's usually somebody that has, you know, cooking ability. But they also offer the opportunity if they want to, if the um, individuals to help cook meals for the family. Let's say, you know, some lady is an excellent cook and they would surely enjoy cooking for the other residents. So some, I know one place uh, each resident takes a turn during the week to cook and it's kind of exciting for them and the food's really good. I was surprised. So Mm -hmm. So is that kind of a way to get the residents engaged or inactive? That's another way. If we're dealing with dementia patients, um, you know, uh, and I will get to that in a minute, but yeah, it helps people get engaged in the activities, uh, getting to know each other. As a personal care home, you can't just spend all your time in your room. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's usually a house setting in a residential area, and uh, the rooms are smaller, um, and they don't like their uh, residents to stay in the room all day. So I know one, one has an agreement that the gentleman has to get up by 11 o'clock and then make his breakfast for himself. Um, you can't really do that in assisted living. Most places don't run a 24-hour cafeteria or cafe. Some do. Uh, but if you miss breakfast, you miss breakfast, you have to wait for lunch. So. Mm. Okay. Then, so, well, here, here's another uh, concern for, for a lot of uh, kids that are kind of exploring or being thrown or thrust into the situation. Um, visiting some of these memory carriers from place to place, I mean, some of the feedback might be, you know, these places look like 
they're not the greatest right. prisons to put it quite bluntly. What, what is a way around it? Like, what, what would you recommend? Um, if the individual is in the late stages of dementia, I would recommend a personal care home with hospice care. Uh, that supplements hospice care is free to the individual. Um, all they have to have is a doctor's written note saying that she needs hospice care or he needs hospice care. That will provide uh, the personal care home with somebody able to come in and, and help out with the individual. Uh, they're specifically trained in dementia care, so they know what the individual should be doing. Um, most of the places, uh, you know, fenced in if they can take dementia patients um, and the being able to keep your eyes on mom or dad is really important um, in assisted living you know the big boxes I call them uh, they're grouped in and usually once wing the doors are locked can't get out can't get in um, you know there's alarms on their doors and things like that if they're moving around so it's not really a the best situation. So if they really are in late stage dementia, I would recommend a personal care home for sure. Then the next big elephant, which is probably even a harder conversation is for the kids having that conversation uh, with their parents. Parents are probably, I imagine kind of in denial because they want that independence. Um, how would the kids be able to engage that conversation or would they seek someone out like yourself to, kind of get that conversation started? Like, how would you come into the picture? Uh, normally, we come into the picture when somebody is either fallen and is in rehab or, you know, mom or dads are wandering around, they're at work, and all of a sudden they get a call from the next door neighbor saying, hey, I think your mom's walking down the street. Uh, we would call in for a case manager case management system uh, to have them evaluated to determine what's going on and how severe if they're, if they're dealing with dementia or they're just out for a walk. Uh, They're, they're the experts for that kind of stuff. So that, that makes it important for us to know. And then we can sit down with the family and the case manager and say, Hey, what do you think? What's the best things for mom or dad? Mm -hmm. Well, for those who are listening who may be going through a similar situation or know of someone going through a similar situation, how can they best reach out and find you to get help? Um, Simply call us. We're at 678-641-4062. Well, thank you uh, for your words of wisdom and advice. And uh, before we go, is there something that you would like to share uh, with our audience in terms of something that they should definitely take into account of? when looking for care for their parents? Um, I think that you need to check uh, the state records for each individual place you're looking at. Uh, Not too long ago, the Atlanta Journal came out with a huge um, report about how places are run, how well or how well they're not run. Uh, We check out, we always check in the state information for that. And we check with the executive director to see if the infractions that the state has pointed out to them have been taken care of. So, you know, that's an important thing. Make sure that mom or dad is going to be safe. Well, thank you, Rick. Thank you. Our next guest coming up would be Rena Nasis with A Season of Caring. Welcome to the program, Rena. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
Well, would you like to also kind of share with us your story and, and journey in terms of how you started your business? Sure. So I am, uh, I have this story that no one wants to have. I've lost both of my parents to Alzheimer's disease, actually 20 years apart. And so um, after losing my dad in June of 18, I had a, I'm certified life coach and I had been working in life coaching area. And after losing him, I made a pivot in my business and started to serve others who find themselves in a season of caring for an aging parent. And so um, I'm honored to be able to come alongside. It's such a difficult time, whether your parent has dementia or Alzheimer's or just other things that are um, bringing them to the end of their life. But I think walking alongside people to encourage them as they're um, in this season is just an honor. You kind of show was perhaps the most challenging parts uh, when caring uh, for your parents and, and how you, that might be something that you'd be able to, to kind of share uh, for our listeners. Sure. I think that the most challenging part of caring is the emotional side. Um, there are so many relationship things that are going on, but at the same time, just the emotions. I mean, your parents have known you your whole life. And as long as you have known them, they've been competent and capable of helping you, taking care of you, supporting you. And as they age, some of those things just change. And so I think it's so difficult for us, um, you know, losing my dad to Alzheimer's, it was a 14 year journey. So it was a very slow process of uh, losing him and him losing his ability to be independent and just um, the process of stepping in and being a hands-on caregiver for the last four and a half years of his life, um, bathing, cleaning up messes, helping to um, give him dinner and, and make sure medications, all of those things. It's just a really big emotional adjustment. And I think sometimes we know things need to be done and we focus on the tasks, but we forget to consider the emotions, both for them and for us. And I know uh, kind of looking at, at your backgrounds that you were also running a business at the same time while providing care for you. That Can you kind of share with us, how, how did you find ways to, to balance that and how did that impact uh, uh, on top of things. Uh, definitely. So first of all, my dad and I were in business together. We owned a Sylvan Learning Center together. And that was at the point of his diagnosis. Um, but eventually I let that business go and started my life coaching business. So training and coaching, um, the thing that's great about coaching is it is mobile. And so um, I started out, I was still working a part-time job teaching and building my coaching business when I first started caring for my dad. And then I was able to let go of the teaching job and just focus on the coaching. But I think, first of all, being a coach helps you to consider overall, you know, how to make good choices and how to be intentional with your time. Um, but that was definitely the key for me to making sure I didn't burn out, making sure I didn't give up my whole life, all of my hopes and dreams, um, just to care for my dad, but rather I lived life at the same time as caring for him. So integrating those two things. And I think that's really important as you find yourself starting to help your parents. Oftentimes the first answer is, oh, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. And then as more and more needs increase, you're taking on more and more things and that doesn't work with having a life. And so you have to be really intentional about those things, which you need to take on and those things maybe which you need to hire help to do. Which kind of leads to my next uh, question, because I understand you also wrote a book uh, titled No Regrets, uh, A Hope for Your Caregiving Season. Um, can, I, can you share with us uh, what motivated you to write that book and 
not not to give the whole story away, a little synopsis of what it is about. <laughs> sure. So I think the key for me was people say to me, "No regrets? How could you do that?" And I think that was the thing that I noticed that at as I buried my dad, I really didn't have regrets. Not that everything went perfectly and not that every choice I made was the perfect choice. But throughout that time, I stopped to ask myself the questions. Is it going well? What do I need to do differently? So if there were things that were not going well, I made changes at that point so that by the time I buried my dad, I didn't have regrets. And so my book is the first 10 chapters is really just focusing on the things that I learned, how to hire and fire help, um, how to manage medications and doctors and relationships and how to honor my dad as my dad at the same time as take care of the physical needs that he increasingly had. And then the last six chapters are self-care. You know, how do I do this and not go crazy? How do I do this and not resent him, resent everybody else because of the things that I'm giving up to do that? But how do I really be intentional in this season and take care of myself? I always say we want to walk our parents all the way home, but we also want to have a life that we can walk back into once they're gone. And so making sure that we cherish the relationships with our spouse and our kids and our grandkids and all of those things that are important to us at the same time. So I try to roll it up in my book with personal stories, things that I learned, and then just encouragement for you to stop and think about those things for yourself as well. Mm. And that's what I kind of find uh, too often the story play out where the care and attention is all being centered uh, around the parents that they more times than not kind of neglect themselves uh, or, or, or the people around them. So what would be kind of uh, your words of, words of wisdom or advice to those who are kind of going through that and they're just having a really rough time trying to balance between the, those two struggles of attention that, that are being put upon them? I think the number one thing is take off your Superman cape and admit that you need help. It, you cannot do it all. There is absolutely no way you can do it all. You can't take care of your physical needs, their physical needs, your emotional needs, their emotional needs, and have anything left of yourself. You just can't do it. I created a quiz called caringquiz.com and it's available for you to kind of see what kind of your caring personality is and make sure that you're really taking on those tasks that fit you and letting go of those things that don't fit you to someone they do fit. And so it's a free quiz that you can hop on at caringquiz.com and take and learn a little bit more about where your strengths lie and what parts of the caregiving you need to be doing and what parts you need to let go to someone else. So I would say build that team around you, have a lawn person, have someone help you clean the house, bring in paid caregivers, do the things that need to be done in order for you to have a life and care, not one or the other, but both. Mm -hmm. It's almost like saying uh, uh, we are human and uh, we do, <laughs> do have limits. And that's why maybe someone like Rick will be uh, of great value uh, to kind of force to delegate some, some certain things. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So for the uh, listeners that are kind of um, being thr thrust into this situation, uh, and I imagine there's a whole slew of different emotions are, are coming in. What is kind of your guidance or words of wisdom to those who are just experiencing this for the first time? I think to really stop and breathe, this is an uh, in the moment absolutely has to be done right now, emergency of everything. We feel the heavy weight of all of it. 
but we need to take it one step at a time. And again, I think that intentionality of what that step looks like. So if there's a fall and we're dealing with the hospital, then the first step is, you know, are they coming home? Where are they going after they get out of the hospital? You have to focus on those things, but make sure that as you take each step that you really are choosing, you're not just getting pulled into, you're not just being emotional in those decisions, but you're actually choosing. So like I said, if it's a slow progression, you know, sometimes it's just, we need help changing the light bulb and, and the batteries in the smoke detector twice a year. Right. And that starts there and we can do those handyman things. But eventually if we're taking on the lawn and we're taking on all of those handyman things, those are not things that you need to do. Those are things that someone else can do while you get to spend time with your parent being their daughter or their son. So really put a lens through it and make intentional decisions. Don't just get drug into it would be my words of wisdom. The other piece of that is then be reflective. What's going well, what's not going well, what do you need? What do they need? Asking yourself those questions, get quiet and really think about how it's going and make the adjustments as you need to. And it sounds like you're kind of a a mirror for your clients to really be able to give them well, how should well, well, correct me if I'm wrong, give them permission to have self-care. Yes. yes, definitely part of my job. And I think as a coach, the thing I love the most is I'm not the person with answers. I don't put the Superman cape off. You don't hand it to me. I'm not going to fix it all for you. We're going to sit together. I'm going to give you space. I'm going to ask you questions, things you probably have never even thought of before. I'll share my experience and experience of other people that have been in this journey. But the key is to really learn to listen to your heart and think about what's going to help you be able to say, I have no regrets. Because that's going to look different for everybody. Uh, I, re- I really like that being able to you know, look back at it all and say, you know, I've done everything I've done and all and truly be able to have uh, no regrets. So to kind of close it off, how best can someone find you and get guidance so they can also say the same things in terms of having no regrets? My website is aseasonofcaring.com and you can learn more about the book at noregrets-book.com. All right. Thank you, Raina. Thank you. And our next guest is Bradley Thomas with Inspire Everyday Fitness, hopefully coming in to give us some guidance how we can stay healthy and not have to go down that particular journey. Welcome to the show, Bradley. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Bradley, can I share with us uh, your story and your journey and how you uh, founded Inspire Everyday Fitness? Yes, yes. Um, okay, so uh, my story as far as ins- starting Inspire Everyday Fitness, one, um, it, this is somewhat typical, but um, I wanted to be a business owner from uh, as, a, as I was a child. All growing up, I said, I'm going to one day own my own business, but I had no idea what it would be. Um, and I went to, uh, went to college and still didn't know, but I uh, majored in accounting and I said, that's a good place to get started. So I started there and I said, I'll just learn business as I go. And, um, and I've actually spent 10 years as an accountant. Um, and, uh, going back, uh, to go forward while I was in college as well, I experienced some health issues and, um, and I started really working to get my health back on, back on track. I was an athlete. And I thought because I was healthy on the outside that I was really healthy. And what I experienced there is I found out that I wasn't really healthy on the inside. 
I had to assess the foods I was eating, but I also had to assess the way I was handling stress. I wasn't handling in it, handling stress in a healthy way. And, um, and it all came to a head. Uh, I guess one day I was doing a track workout and I kind of broke down, was having problems swallowing. And, um, and from there on for a while, I had a problem digesting and every process from, um, the point where I take in food to eliminating it. And um, so I was having difficulties there. And so I really had to focus on really getting healthy. Again, the food I eat mixed with the way I manage that stress. Um, And so Inspire Everyday Fitness ultimately um, is a mix of my passions, um, a a mix of of my story. So one is getting healthy. Two, it's about helping people. I grew up uh, with a great example of my father. My dad uh, used to do this boys club. Uh, It was actually a a ministry from the church. They used to uh, go in the inner city of Jackson, Mississippi and pick up guys, um, teenagers from some very rough areas of town. And we would walk through the streets. He would take me as a four or five year old walking through these rough areas. Um, and then he would also pick up guys in the car and we would um, bring them to the boys club that we had. And um, him and another uh, actually family member would work with these guys in some, again, some really rough areas. And um, that was my first exposure to, uh, well, that was my first kind of hands-on exposure to um, helping others. And from a very young age, I learned the benefit of doing it. And I also received that help as well. And so, um, and so I am very passionate about helping people. So I'm passionate about health and fitness. I'm passionate about helping others. I want to be a business owner. And then, uh, and then also I, I started uh, focusing several years ago on what gives me life. So what are those things? Um, pay attention. I started paying attention to the things that give me life from exercise, from uh, it could be reading a book. It could be a number of other things. But what are those things that give me life? And I said, let me put all of this into a business and let's call it Inspire Everyday Fitness. So it's a, a con- in the name is built in. It's a consistency. It's a lifestyle. And from that lifestyle, we really want to be able to help a whole lot of people. So that's that's the long answer as far as what got me started in business and with Inspire Everyday Fitness. Now, is this more uh, in terms of building a workout routine or regimen, or is there also uh, dietary uh, programs with this? I and mean, what aspects are, are, are you looking at? Right. Okay. So Inspire Everyday Fitness focuses primarily on, on two aspects, nutrition actually first, and then exercise. And then as you work through um, particularly nutrition, but nutrition and exercise, um, inevitably, you'll have to uh, work on other areas of your life. When you start looking at the food that you eat um, and start actually adjusting your diet, whether it's plant-based or uh, whatever other diet you may be on or trying out, you'll notice very uh, soon that those adjustments there actually impact even some of your decisions that you make. For instance, um, this is kind of going back to go forward again, but, you know, someone may, may be hangry 
And uh, there is actually a, a great example of food impacting your decision making process. And that actually um, comes into play depending on the um, whatever the foods uh, you are eating. Um, it, it actually uh, correlates. So you mentioned a little bit about plant based. Can you kind of describe to our audience, you know, what that is? Does that just mean vegan or something else? Right. So um, Inspire Everyday Fitness, we, we help people to get uh, healthy through healthy lifestyle choices and plant-based nutrition specifically. And so when you look at plant-based, uh, that is particularly foods derived from plants. Um, and it's a little different than vegan. Uh, so I like to explain this a little bit. Uh, when someone says they're vegan, that's really describing what they don't eat. Uh, but when you say plant-based, it's really describing what you do eat. And so um, that's going to be a difference in um, kind of how you explain it. It's a little different than vegan also as far as um, vegans um, is more centered around the animals and health of the animals, which I think is great. Uh, but plant-based is more on uh, what is the food that you're putting into your body, um, focusing less on the animals, but more on the source. Mm. And so uh, plant-based is also uh, one more distinction, if you will. Uh, there's plant-based and then there's whole food plant-based. Whole food plant-based is going to take it a step further and say that most of these foods are not processed or very lightly processed, minimally processed, which eliminates uh, more of your oils uh, and things like that, that and sugars, uh, processed sugars specifically uh, that are more highly processed. And why would anyone do any of this? And a big reason is because um, especially in the uh, in America and in westernized in the westernized world, um, we eat a lot of processed foods, um, and these processed foods are very uh, calorie dense, and they're not and they're not nutrient dense. They're actually nutrient deficient. And so, when we uh, talk about a plant based diet, even if you don't embrace a one hundred percent plant based diet you're talking about eating a lot of very nutrient dense foods. Um, and um, just, and that, the, that uh, nutrient density, if you will, uh, helps our bodies uh, because a lot of us, because we're um, nutrient deficient, um, we're, we're in a sense starving parts of our bodies. And so uh, we don't, um, we may not look like we're starving and, you know, skin and bones, um, but our starvation um, is masked with uh, excess body weight and um, body uh, weight that's not um, that's not helping us. And uh, a matter of fact, what's happening under the surface is there are cells in our all throughout our body, including our our stomachs, our hearts, our brains uh, that aren't receiving the nutrients that it really needs. And then when you compound that over time. Um, uh, it, it has uh, some really adverse effects on us. And so uh, what I'm doing with a plant-based diet is really encouraging people to eat more plant-based and, um, and, and really uh, helping to promote the message that there are a lot of benefits that come with that. So what you're trying to tell me is that Oreos and beer vegan would not qualify <laughs> under plant-based healthy diet. 
Correct. Uh, not as far as a whole food plant-based diet. Um, okay. Well, well, then what got you started with this uh, plant-based um, philosophy towards um, guiding your patients or, or clients uh, towards improving their health? Right. So the big thing is um, a few years ago when I started, so Inspire Everyday Fitness started in 2018. Um, and I was looking at around, well, in that time frame, I was looking at what's the best uh, diet that I can put my clients through. I went through a health coaching, uh, a year-long health coaching program as well. Uh, that was really good. They exposed us to uh, most of the diets that are out there. And um, it gave me a look into each of those, but I still had that question. What's the best diet? What can I put my clients on to? And then um, at some point during this process, I saw a movie called Forks Over Knives. And um, they talked in detail in that movie or about or documentary about the China study. Um, uh, and not only the China study is uh, the China study is a book um, about um, the uh, things that were learned in assessing uh, the country of China and their dietary patterns. And um, but not only did they use the China study, but they used also other uh, science-backed research um, to really build a case for eating plant-based. Um, so watching that was very informative for me. I've seen a, a few other documentaries um, as well. Um, and another documentary that really helped me was Game Changers movie. Game Changers was really good. And that uh, movie showcases athletes on a plant-based diet. And that had an appeal to me. Um, and so from there, though, I said, well, let me give plant-based a try myself. And so November 2019, I went plant-based myself. I've been plant-based ever since. And uh, and also in that time frame, I've been doing a lot of reading. So I've um, read up a great deal and I continue to read uh, consistently about a plant-based diet. And the more I read, the more I see the benefits, the more I see people reversing uh, chronic illnesses that um, they thought were not reversible. Um, and I see people getting better. And at this point, I'm even seeing my clients um, uh, having very similar uh, results. And so um, and, and so anyway, I got to plant based by just really searching uh, for what's the best thing that I can give my clients with good faith. And, um, and uh, to give them to see uh, see great results. Right. Well, the, what is kind of the most rewarding part for you uh, going in, down to this entrepreneurship uh, business venture? Yeah, the most there are a couple of rewarding parts. Uh, a big one is to really have peace and uh, and fulfillment. Feel like that I'm very fulfilled in the work that I'm doing. Uh, when one becomes an entrepreneur, it uh, it really you have to be dedicated to whatever you're doing because you're about to spend a lot of time and money and resources and energy doing it. And uh, so a great thing for me with this business is I feel good about what I'm doing. I feel like I'm really helping people. I feel like I'm really making an impact. And um, that's that's the most rewarding part, the I, the feeling of doing really good work and being coupled with actually seeing, you know, seeing clients get, get good results. 
Well, coming in from 10 years as an accountant and having been the athlete yourself, and I, am, I imagine running gut-busting track workout because I'm a track and cross-country guy in the past myself, what would you say would be kind of now going into this foray of entrepreneurship for the past couple of years? What was kind of the hardest part that you find? Yeah, the hardest part would be at this point, uh, The, the I'll, I'll say um, – at different points, you'll have different hardest parts. The first hard, hardest part that I had was uh, realizing that entrepreneurship would really expose a lot of my fears, uh, just fears in general about life. I didn't, um, I didn't realize that entrepreneurship would expose those things. Um, the good part about it is I had been doing a lot of self-work beforehand and I had, um, I guess, built the confidence or built the muscle to, okay, I'm afraid of this, but that means I should attack it and not run away from it. So that was real big. And then the next one after that would be prioritizing. Entrepreneurship will demand you to prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. And, um, and I, I, don't know if the, I don't know if the process stops. <laughs> Well, they're kind of looking back at the toughest workouts. Let's call it mile repeats, maybe, or 800 repeats versus what are you doing now? Uh, what would you rather have? Well, I'd rather, I definitely rather have this one, uh, but I do like embracing um, the moments of life where you're in. So at that time, I was in high school and college. And at that time, it was time for me to run those 800 meter sprints. And, you know, as you get older, a lot of things have changed. And um, what I do like about what I do now is I still am able to work out and exercise. And actually, it fits under the guise of what I'm doing as far as a business, but um, uh, really enjoying where I'm at. And so um, I am enjoying the entrepreneurship um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, and and the biggest thing with it, with entrepreneurship, is I want to run it like I was running that 800 meters, leaving everything on the track. And um, at the end of the day, being able to sleep well, knowing that I did all that I could do today. Yeah, almost like that theme of uh, no regrets, right? That's it. Right. Well, then for, for a client, that's kind of... Um thinking of making some changes uh, to the health. And now you're talking about all this plant-based diet. Now, now they might be a little shy. So, so how did they get started with you? Like what, what take us kind of uh, what it looks like behind the scenes. If someone just kind of say, Hey, Riley, I really want to make changes to my health. How does that look like? Well, the first thing, um, as far as a plant-based uh, diet is concerned, I, I would want them to, um, have a, a good idea of what they're getting into, which means trying out some meals. So that may mean um, if you're all the way foreign to plant-based, uh, trying a plant-based meal um, for one day, for one day a week. You can even start off with one meal in that one day, one day a week, and then turn it into one whole day. Um, a big thing there is a lot of times we we think that um, it, because we grew up this way that if there's not meat on the plate, it's not a real meal. And um, starting off with one meal and starting off with one day is a great way to help 
to uh, counter uh, that um, belief uh, that that we really grew up with, um, and then um, and then get more education about it. Start to learn, and if you're talking with me, I'll start telling you more about it as far as what the benefits are and what you can look for. And then also at some point, um, and it's not it's not right away. Our, it, life is a journey. Uh, health and fitness, the food that we eat, is a journey. At some point on a plant-based journey, I would encourage one to um, go for, you know, uh, 21 days, 21 days, only uh, plant-based and um, and see what that does for you. I actually did that while I was in college as well. I tried it out. I didn't know uh, what plant-based or whole food plant-based was at the time. I was doing a Daniel diet and decided that I this sounds fun. Let me give it a shot. I did it. Um, I actually did it. Uh, I was feeling so good that I did it longer. And at some point I just stopped doing it and it was fine with me and it was okay. And I just did that. And um, when I got back to health coaching almost 10 years later, um, or when I got into health coaching, I reflected on it and I said, I've done that before. I can do it again. And then I can also encourage folks to, you know, to try it out. Um, 21 days is also a great amount of time for your body to adjust and um, at least feel the true benefits of of doing a diet like that. And so um, whether you do it forever or if you just do it to 21 days and you say, I, I gave it a shot. But um, and then I also help help folks on my website. There are meal uh, plant based recipes. And so there uh, there's a plethora, a variety of different uh, plant based recipes. They're absolutely for free. Uh, give any of those a try. And um, and also that gives people exposure to see that eating plant based is not just about eating a lot of salad. Uh, salad is great. Those dark green leafy vegetables are very special. Uh, but there's a lot more you can eat than just that. Great. So how best can someone uh, find you if they want to kind of dip their toe and not, not jump full in, but hey, they, they, they can jump in if they want. But how can they best uh, start making changes and get inspired to their everyday fitness? Yes. Uh, find me at inspireeverydayfitness.com. And there, like I just mentioned, there um, there's a, a plant-based recipes tab. Uh, hit that tab and that's a great place to get started. Great. Well, thank you, Bradley. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. So that's kind of the theme of today's program. It's self-care, whether it be physical health, spiritual health, or having your own emotional health. So before I bring in our three guests back in, I have one or two universal questions that I'll give them some time to mull over. So the first question, kind of jumping on the bandwagon, I'm, I'm going to have to steal this for every podcast going on forward now, is the question of no regrets. What was the one event that happened in your life where you were kind of on the fence, but you made that decision? And looking back, you wouldn't have made it any different. That's the first question. And then the second question as a follow-up to that is, what was the one main event that happened or, or probably a buildup of it that helped you make that decision for you? That being said, so that's the two questions. First question, can I repeat myself? Is what was that one event that happened 
where you were on the fence and looking back, you wouldn't have made any other different uh, choice decision differently. Then follow up with that is what either inspired or made you make that particular or take that particular path. That being said, this show is sponsored and brought to you by yours truly, Anthony Chan with Lighthouse Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York at 11747. You can best reach me at 631-465-9090. My extension is 5075 or best via email, which is simply my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N at L-F-N-L-L-C.com. That's Larry Frank Nancy, Larry, Larry Charlie.com. Thank you for listening and bringing our guests back for three questions. So I guess we can kind of kick off with Richard. Would you like to go first? I think the one event that really put me forward here was I had a lady whose uh, mother was dying, um, had lost all interest in eating, and uh, just decided that it was time for her to give up. Uh, so we transferred her from a uh, assisted living into a personal care home. Uh, we put her into hospice and uh, advised the family that you know, it wouldn't be long before she expired. Um, to our surprise, two weeks later, after being in the personal care home, she was playing bridge, teaching people how to uh, how to cook, how to macrame, um, told her daughter that she wanted her dentures fixed. And, uh, she ended up living until she was 98 uh, four years ago. So that was uh, quite the turn of events for me. And it was my inspiration to continue uh, helping seniors every day of my life. Well, that's part of the, thank you for sharing. It's, it sounds like it was just a simple change of environment that really helped her. It really was. Nothing magical about it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Great. And Reina? So I get to cheat a little bit because I wrote a book about it, but I would <laughs> definitely say that for me, one of the most important places was that moment, that time when my sister and I were coming together and trying to decide what to do for my dad as he had to have 24 hour care and his sister was leaving and the natural normal choice was to look at memory care units and look at placing him somewhere because it felt like in the moment that, you know, we were supposed to keep him at home as long as possible. And so as long as possible was a little vague. And so it felt like, okay, we're here. We're at the end of our choices. What are we going to do? But as I went to those memory care units, as I walked out, I just, would cry. My dad was still playing volleyball three times a week. He was still going to the gym and lifting weights three times a week. At that point, it didn't make sense for him to be in a facility with locked doors and limited. He loved to be outside and work in the yard and it just didn't make sense. And as I came home, um, I guess I'm answering both questions, but as I came home from that visit and still sad and upset, my husband was there and he just said, you know, Raina, if if you can't, you know, if you don't want to put him there, if that's not the right place for him, then 
you need to, if you need to come live with him and take care of him, then that's what you need to do. And that opened up possibilities that I never saw before. It opened up, not only did it give me permission to be away from home, and but it also gave me permission to explore what other options are there. This isn't our only choice. And so um, making that decision to keep him at home and to be one of the primary caregivers and to bring other people in was definitely one of the most important decisions I ever made that helps me to know that, you know, I did, I did do everything. If I had placed him at that point for us and our family, my dad and me, it wouldn't have been the right thing for him. I would have regretted that. And so knowing that um, I was able to find an option that I didn't regret was priceless. Oh, Sometimes, like as you say, give yourself permission to kind of go Mm -hmm. with your gut feeling. Well, thank you. And Bradley. Yes. For, for me, uh, something I may have been on the fence about um, was uh, was my business itself and, and actually just deciding to do it full time. Um, that's something, you know, I, I thought a lot about. I know I wanted to, but the question is always, when do you do it and 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 even how? Um, and so but for me, what what helped me to make that decision um the decision to walk in purpose and to be my best. Um, and, um, before, before starting my business, the relationships that I have with my family, um, the relationships that I have with my friends, the decision to tackle hard things, um, to really work through them, to, uh, process emotion and feeling and, um, make mistakes. And if there's something I can do to correct it, do that. And if there's nothing, be at peace with knowing that I did all that I could do. Um, that is what got me um, to where I am with business. And, and honestly, that's way more important than business um, because it impacts all the people in my life that I'm connected to in any way. Uh, so that would be my no regret. Well, thank you, Bradley. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Well, that's uh, you hear it from all three. So really the theme is listening to yourself, giving yourself the permission to delegate and caring for yourself in your physical health and your emotional health. And that's for today's program. Thank you for listening to Family Business Radio.